0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good, morning. Good, morning. Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth meaning, and we welcome persons of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and other circumstances. We extend a special welcome to our visitors this morning. We're glad you're here. We invite you to enjoy stimulating coffee, conversation, and fellowship after the service in House and Hall which is located beyond the sanctuary and foyer, and to your right. Sit at the welcome table while you're there. My name is Andrew Young. I have been a member of this church for five and a half years, and for the past two and a half of those years, I have also been the youth programming coordinator, which means that I oversee the middle school and high school programming of the church. Although I'm still in this role, I'm also entering into a new role. This Sunday marks the end of my first semester, at Star King School for the Ministry, one of two Unitarian Universalist Seminaries, where I am pursuing a Master of Divinity degree in preparation for ordination at the Unitarian Universalist (laughs) minister. Today's service is a part of my final project for a class aptly named History of UU Religious Practice, in which we have studied how our liturgy has evolved since the Puritans arrived in North America. Now so the word liturgy refers to the rituals of the church, especially the structure and format of the Sunday service, since that is the primary ritual of our church. As such, this service diverges somewhat from our normal Sunday service in both format and content, and I apologize in advance for any confusion this my cost. The elements of today's service and the selection of its hymns are rooted in both our Unitarian and Universalist traditions. The hymns are from a hymnal published in 1955 that was used by both the Unitarian and the Universalists before the two denominations merged in the 60s. Our responsive reading is taken from a Unitarian hymnal published in 1907. It is sometimes said that the work of religion is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Today's service is sure to do both. We will deal with topics that may be uncomfortable for some of you due to your past experiences. And my intent is not to make light of or to invalidate your feelings on these topics. We each bring our own experiences to the conversation. And all that I ask is that you keep an open mind and reflect on how each element of service today affects you. Pay special attention to the words and phrases which trigger strong emotions for you, either positive or negative. So uh, now as we begin our sacred time together, please join me in reading the words for lighting our challenge, which are printed in your order of service. Love, doctor,
1: church, <laughs> truth, and <laughs>
0: Please join me in an attitude prayer. La eterna du lo estas mi maschisto, mi mangas nejadas. Soreverai pervehoi, diripo digas mi, a pur trinque de li conducas mi. Li que digas mi animo, li conducas mi laugoyo de la vero, <throat> tu Echquiam mi hiros travalo de densa malumo, li nitimos malvona, charaviestas con mi. Vi abastono cai apocichilo tranquiligos mi. Vi cobras por mi, por mi tablon anta, mi ai malinicoi. Vi schnidis per olio mi ai capo, mi bocalo estas aniquita. Nurbono cai pavoro secvos mi in la dauro de mi a tutta language is powerful. And yet language is arbitrary. The words we use have no inherent meaning. Only the meaning that we give them. And yet the words we use are still powerful because of that meaning. Dr. Zammachos knew as well. In the 1880s he invented a language now called Esperanto, which you have just heard a sample of. Dr. Zamenhof grew up in a community that spoke four different languages, each with its own cultural heritage, and he saw how the differences in the language created walls between community members. This was why he invented a language that didn't belong to any single country or culture. He hoped that this language, with its lack of cultural and linguistic baggage, could help bring people together by lifting up their commonalities and rejoicing in their How does language affect the way you see the world? This is what I would like you to meditate on for the next few minutes. Whether you sit quietly or come to the window to light a candle. Take a moment to reflect on how you react differently to the Esperanto verse you just heard, and its English equivalent. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
1: Like many members of our faith,
0: I am a relatively recent convert to Unitarian Universalism. I was raised in a non-religious home, the son of free-thinking parents who were the product of the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s. As a child, I attended Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopal, Methodist. Baptist, Mormon, Pagan, and Jewish services with friends and family. But I was always only an observer and never a believer, because I couldn't subscribe to the central ideas of these groups. I didn't believe in magic, or in a God that would condemn so many of my friends to eternal damnation, despite how much good they did in the world. After high school, I discovered Buddhism. And I embraced its teachings because they didn't require me to believe in a deity or in superstition. By the time I found the UU Church several years later, I considered myself a staunch atheist and skeptic. Now when I say atheist, I want to be clear that I mean literally an atheist, that is, one who does not believe in God. This is subtly but importantly different from one who believes there is no God. Often this is the difference between a soft atheist and a hard atheist, although my wife considers herself a militant agnostic. This, uh, I had no proof one way or the other, but I knew for sure that I didn't believe in the God of the Christian fundamentalist. When I began ascending here, I didn't realize how much negative baggage I had attached over the years to many of the words associated with the Church. Words like God, divinity, ministry, faith, spirituality, salvation, and grace all made me bristle, and in the UU church I found a place where I could be an ethical and moral community with others without the need to use such terms. I remember that soon after joining the church, a friend of mine was explaining his pagan religious beliefs to me. He told me that he used to be an atheist but that he had realized there was more to life than that. He felt there was something that connected us all together, and he had found an expression of his beliefs in paganism. I remember that at the time, I thought his beliefs were silly and superstitious, and I was glad that I had found a church that was more enlightened. His use of divine language, such as God, goddess, and even ritual, had built up a wall between us. If you asked me then if I believed in God, my immediate answer without hesitation would have been no. Not only that, I thought that discussing the idea of a God or goddess was silly, silly superstition. What I didn't know was that my own journey of faith was only just beginning, and I was yet to learn the underlying theology and history of the Unitarian Universalism. You see... Unitarian Universalism is a faith with very deep theological roots. We can trace our direct lineage to the colonial era when English dissenters journeyed to America in search of religious freedom, the Pilgrims, and the Puritans. The Church of England considered them heretics because they believed in ideas such as universal salvation, the belief that all people will be saved, and Unitarianism, the idea that Jesus was not God, but only a man. And even though the dissenters were a product of the Enlightenment, the ideas they supported were much older, almost as old as the Christian Church itself. For the majority of our history, the members of our denomination have considered themselves Christians and have been at home in the language of divinity. However, for the last hundred years, our vocabulary has shifted to the language of philosophy and morality. This shift
1: began, to some degree,
0: in the early 19th century with the transcendentalists and their focus on the inherent goodness of both people and nature. It continued in the late 19th century with the translation of the great religious texts of the world into English, the Buddhist texts and the Hindu texts, and texts from other parts of the world. But it didn't really pick up speed until the late 1940s with the introduction of the Unitarian Fellowship. <coughs> At the time, the American Unitarian Association, was trying to find ways to increase growth. They found that there were some people who were interested in Unitarianism who weren't comfortable in a traditional church, so they began to sponsor Unitarian fellowships as alternatives to churches. Fellowships could be started with as few as 10 members and without any ordained clergy. They could also meet in people's homes or in rented space. To increase the likelihood of their success, the American Unitarian Association targeted largely white communities which also had universities in them.
1: <coughs>
0: Add to this, the popularity of humanism among this particular demographic sparked in part by the release of the Humanist Manifesto in the 1930s and the result of in small groups, which were lay-led, often highly educated, and largely humanist in nature. Hymnals written at the time began to include readings in hymns which lacked the traditional language of divinity. Over time, these fellowships became larger and either merged with existing churches or became churches themselves. Even today, if you go to the UA website and look through the list of congregations, you will see many congregations with the name Fellowship. This movement led to a large increase in humanism in the Unitarian Church as a whole, as well as a steady decline in the use of religious language. So complete was the removal of religious language from the denomination. That by the time our marriage happened, our statements of principles and purposes, often pointed to when someone asks what we believe in as Unitarian Universalists, contains no divine language at all, except for the word covenant. This is why when I joined the church, I felt so at home, so comfortable with the language that was used here. However, things changed. I began to apply what I was learning in church to my life outside. As I attempted to truly live my UU principles each day, I noticed two interesting side effects. The first one was that I was less and less defensive when other people used divine language in my presence. My understanding of words such as God, ministry, and faith began to change and take on a new meaning, thanks in part to a large number of the younger UUs who were adopting this language as their own. I came to think of God as the best hopes and dreams in all of us, and when others would speak about God, I realized they were speaking about the same basic ideas. This led directly to the second side effects. Other people began to comment on what a good Christian I was.
1: <laughs>
0: First time it happened, it took me completely by surprise. I'm sure you can imagine. For a split second, I was insulted.
1: <laughs>
0: but very quickly, I recognized the comment for what it was—not a slur, but a compliment how I lived my life. I came to realize that there was an entire group of Christians, really the silent majority, who cared more about doing good in the world and following the teachings of Jesus than about commandments, sin, and hell. I also realized that many devoutly religious people of all faiths were speaking of God not as a literal man in the sky, the one in the front of your order service, but as a metaphor for that something greater that connects us all. That's something that my friend was talking about when he was talking about his pagan religious. My ability to tolerate the use of God language had changed my entire outlook, not only on Christianity, but on religion as a whole. The walls which I had built up began to be broken down. What I came to realize is that I had been doing the same thing that the religious fundamentalists had been doing. I had been taking words such as God and faith and putting them into little boxes of meaning instead of letting the meaning expand to meet me where I was in my personal journey. I thought that God had to mean a physical being. And I thought that prayer meant talking directly to that physical being. I thought that faith meant blind obedience to what you've been taught. And that salvation meant that you would go to heaven after you die as long as you follow all the rules. I'm sure that if I asked a random group of UUs about these same words, many of them would have similar reactions. Many of us have attached the baggage of our previous religious experiences to these words. We hear the word sin, and we think of angry signs at a protest. We hear the word ministry, and we think of groups giving Bibles to villagers in other countries. But to many, these words mean much more. As a religious educator and parent, I have seen another side of this issue as well. Many UUs want to spare our children from the negative effects that word such as sin had on us when we were their age. We want to shield our children from closed minded zealots who spew hate and intolerance in the name of religion. But in doing so, we often rob our children of the power that comes from having a language to describe that which is so difficult to describe in our lives. if we taught our children that God refers to the great mystery of life or if we taught them that grace refers to those gifts that we receive simply by being alive a sunset or a sunrise or a beautiful day then we would have equipped them with these words when events in their lives moved them to use language which embodies the awe and wonder of life more directly than our everyday speech does Instead, we have given that power to the fundamentalists by making sure that their definitions of these words are the only ones our children will ever learn. Now, I'm not trying to influence you one way or the other about your personal belief in God. Instead, my goal is to make you think about why the word itself is so problematic for military you universalists. I think that one of the reasons is that many times when we are asked, Do you believe in God? we are expected to give a yes or no answer to a very complicated question. I think another reason is that many of the popular concepts of God are so simplistic and so confined that we resist forcing the indescribable spiritual intuitions of our minds and hearts into such a simple and narrow description. The real question is not, what do you believe? The real question is, in what do you have faith? When all seems lost, and darkness is everywhere, to what do you pray for salvation from the darkness? If you put your hopes out to the universe, then perhaps the universe is God. If you rely on the inherent goodness of all people, then perhaps that is God. I knew that my understanding of God, and especially of the word God, had changed significantly when I was asked by a high school youth if I believed in God, and I was able to honestly answer yes. Although I don't believe in a personal God whom I am able to interact with, I do believe in a wonderfully complex universe and in the spark of divine in every living thing. To me, this is God. Now, I believe in God really hasn't changed since I became a UU. So my participation in this church has helped me define it as something more than I don't believe in the God they believe. I still consider myself a rational skeptic who doesn't believe in superstition. But what has changed is my relationship with the Word of God. Instead of shrinking away from it, I embrace it as my own. And I am beginning to see the fruits of my labor. This year, my 9 year old daughter began attending school at Redeemer Lutheran, a local private school that is part of the Redeemer Lutheran Church. When we first started looking at private schools for my daughter, I was concerned, because many of them were very conservative. We chose Redeemer because of its rigorous academic program, but it came with some possible drawbacks. Two of these are the weekly chapels and Bible verse memorizations, but the more serious one is that the school the church, which runs the school, is a member of the Missouri Synod. For those of you who have never heard of them, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is the fundamentalist branch of Lutheranism in the U.S. It is balanced now by the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. Whereas the ELCA ordains gay clergy, the Missouri Synod of the Even-ordained Women, they hold to the fundamentalist stance of strict biblical inerrancy. I'm sure you can imagine why this concerned me. <laughs> when we interviewed the principal, we were sure enough and we were assured that they taught evolution and that they were tolerant of other faiths at school. The principal told us that a Muslim girl had even been student body president a few years ago. When we spoke to my daughter's teacher, he told us that they had an atheist student the year before and enjoyed having conversations with him about religion. So we signed up my daughter and I were for the best. All of my fears were swept away on the very first day of school. The kids all put together bags with objects in them that represented who they were. The idea was for the kids to try and guess which bag belonged to which child, based slowly on the things in the bag. Among the things in my daughter's bag was a chalice. When they made posters that told other students about their interests and hobbies, my daughter wrote, I'm a Unitarian Universalist at the very first thing on the poster. So far our experiences have been very positive. Even though I've attended every chapel service to make sure I can explain to my daughter any theological bits I disagree with. <laughs>
1: so far I haven't new you.
0: She's so completely grounded in her faith and so at home with words like God and prayer and salvation that she has instead often come to me to tell me how she disagreed with a certain topic before I even had a chance to bring up my head. We often discuss how we, as Unitarian Universalists, can apply the teachings of Jesus to our daily lives while maintaining our own beliefs about God and the spark of the divine in all people. She even asked her prayer leader at school to pray for me when I was traveling on a business trip. Not because she believed in a personal God who answered our prayers, but because she wanted to express an desire when I come home to you. So what is the point of all this? Why am I telling all of this to you. My sermon is titled, Is There a Place for God in Unitarian Universalism? I believe the answer to this question is yes. There is at least a place for the word God, regardless of what your personal beliefs are, regarding the existence or non-existence of one or more particular We need to bring the religious language of our predecessors back into our daily experience and embrace that language. It isn't the words themselves we have a problem with. It is the meaning that others have assigned to them. If we take back these words, we will regain a descriptive vocabulary which we desperately need in these trying time. My challenge to you today is to reevaluate your relationship with the language of community.
1: I realize that many
0: of you have been hurt by religious zealots, using these words to spew hate. But I ask that you try your best to embrace these words and to make them meaningful in your daily lives. Doing so will rob those same felons of the power that these words have given them. Please join me now in extinguishing the chalice by reading the word, praying, and God is a mysterious impulse available to us, a too often unheeded voice within me and you and all of life. This God calls and invites, prompts and lures, but it is up to us whether to respond. We are a part of an interconnected web of life in which each, a- each affects all. There is a sacred spark, a spiritual energy and power in each of us. It matters what we do with our lives. The great, ultimately unnameable mystery of life is a call to goodness and love. As we choose love, decide for love, stand on the side of love. We are part of the growing God in the universe. I implore you to find ways to embrace all this language in your daily lives and to teach your families and others about your faith by using the language of divinity. Words only have meaning because we give them meaning. If we don't give these words a deeper and broader meaning, if we aren't comfortable using them to describe our faith, then they will always be used to rail against us, and the walls between us and those of other faiths will continue to stand. Go now in peace until we meet again. Amen.
1: This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.